0: One of the primary reasons that Grace Bible Church teaches the Christian life is because it offers the believer a chance to overcome temptation, the chance, the possibility to overcome temptation. Now, the Christian has three distinct spiritual enemies which bring unique lust to tempt the believer. And without knowing each enemy and how each enemy works, it's almost impossible for (coughs) for a believer to stumble into and out of victory. Mostly it's out of victory. And without knowing that knowledge, without having the knowledge of dealing with our enemies and without doing, carrying it forth, then it's almost impossible. It's very difficult for the believer to grow and to mature spiritually. As a result, I think you see today that too many believers live their Christian life stumbling into and out of carnality. And unfortunately, they spend more time in carnality than they do out of carnality. Now, there is a problem that, that can occur concerning temptation. It is far too easy to regard the works of the flesh as something that is normal human behavior. Now think for a moment with me. For, for example, most unsafe individuals will consider that losing the temper is no big deal. It's, it's just kind of everyday activity. The only time it's concerning to them is if someone gets destructive or gets violent. But ordinarily, people, if you lose your temper, people don't think that much of it. In fact, I had, and when I was in Bible college, to show you how this goes, I I had a friend that uh, worked at the same place I did. We worked at a gas station, pumped gas, and he pumped certain days. And he said something other than he'd lost his temper over something. And he said, well, this is what you expect, I'm Italian. And I thought, okay, it's natural for Italians to lose their temper. But, you know, I've heard people say, well, you, you can't blame me, I'm Irish. And then I've heard people say, well, you can't blame me, I'm Greek. Well, you can't blame me. I'm Italian. We well, can't blame me. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Is there any? Is there any group of? Is there any race of people anywhere that would say it's not? You can't blame me. I lost my temper because I'm fill in the blank. Whatever it is, almost every every personality type you can think of, all says the same thing. And so it gets passed off as, as human behavior that is normal. But you know, the unsaved won't recognize this. But you know, even many believers do not realize that losing your temper is a work of the flesh. Did you know that? I hope that you do. Because there is, a, in the list of the works of the flesh, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and please folks, if you haven't learned that list and know what it means and know those words, make sure you learn them because that's the works of the flesh. Those are unique things that the flesh. Those works bring lusts, they bring strong desires to the person to do certain things. And right in the heart of one of those, guess guess what it is? There it is, right in that list, in Galatians five nineteen through 21 there's a word translated as wrath, in the King James. And for those of you who use the uh, e-sword, which I highly recommend, it is G2372, and you can see the Greek word if you want to see it, but you don't have to know English. If you have e-sword, you can trace this word and see where it is used, simply by putting in search, Under King James Plus, on the setting, you put in search, type in G2372, and it'll bring up every place this word is used. And you don't even have to know Greek to to understand and and to trace it down. Now, this word is better translated as temper. Did you know that this word for wrath, the Greek word is thumos? We get thumometer from that. And that measures the rising of the heat. And that's what temper does. It just You can feel the heat rising. It's this unique work of the flesh. You don't really think about it. You just do it. My favorite illustration of that is, and it's, it's a humorous one in a way, I, I've always had a tendency when I've done things to hit my thumb with a hammer. Now, my left thumb is no bigger than my right thumb, but it should really be about twice a size. because when I did things, I always would hit my thumb. So I said, I've said before, I said, here I am working on something, and here I hit my thumb with that hammer. And so I hold my thumb up, and I look at it, and I say, the perfectly logical thing to, be, to do at a time like this is to lose my temper and to scream and yell and to throw that hammer as far as I can and say all kinds of words that I'll have to confess later and be ashamed of and hope nobody heard. So that's the way we, when you lose your temper. Is that how you do it? You say, well, no, the logical thing to do would be to tell this person off. The logical thing to do would be to scream and yell. No, we don't do that, do we? We just... And so, this is considered normal human behavior. Well, 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 if we take the Word of God literally, understanding the works of flesh, we will understand that the works of flesh are not normal human behavior. We'll see the exceptions to that. And we'll see something else, that it's also important to overcome the flesh. If we take the Bible literally, two problems we'll not have, we will not have is... Taking the uh, understanding the works of the flesh as being normal, we won't misuse it, and we'll also understand why is it important to overcome temptation in the first place. The two go together. So, we want to begin with, is it important, really important to overcome the works of the flesh? You notice point number one on our outline. Yes, the works of the flesh are normal under certain circumstances. Well, we ask the question, are they normal? Some people say they are. Some people say it's normal human behavior. If people lose their temper, sure, that's all right. If people get a little bit jealous once in a while, well, you can't expect them to do otherwise. They're human, aren't they? Yeah, it's human, but the works of the flesh are indeed normal under two sets of circumstances, but let me say I don't recommend either set. I do not recommend either set of circumstances. The works of the flesh are normal human behavior if you're unsaved. Look at, Colossians, or look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is familiar, I trust. But I want you to think of it this way. That if we're going to say, or have people tell us, and try to say, well, it's normal to do this. It's normal to lose your temper. It's normal to be jealous. It's normal to have this. It's normal to do that. And, and all of a sudden, you wind up with, with all of the works of the flesh being excused. Is that really the way it should be? Well, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And you... And hath he quickened his italicized, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, the age of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children's, or the sons of disobedience, it should be, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But. God who is rich in mercy. And it goes on from there. So is it normal human conduct? Yes. Now when you look at this, what is what to me is important about Ephesians 2 in the first part is that you're seeing Paul going back to the beginning and reminding the Ephesians, this is what you were like. This is what you were like before salvation. Now why in the world would he be doing that? Well, I think the reason you can see that turns up in the fourth chapter. So if you hold your finger in the second chapter, look over at the fourth chapter, you know, these were very well-educated people. And, and Paul taught this church the whole counsel of God, something he did not say to any other church and wouldn't say to any other church. But he says in verse 17 of the fourth chapter, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all cleanness with un- with greediness but you have not so learned Christ now in verse 20 you see Christ if you have an interlinear please notice there's something important there it's the Christ it's talking about the head Christ and the body the church in our relationship together and it's getting into the Christian life. In other words, you haven't learned that in the Christian life. Let's just paraphrase it. You haven't learned this. So why is Paul writing the second chapter to these people? Boy, here's a, here's a good case in point that says education and just knowing truth isn't enough. They knew the truth. They knew all about it. So Paul takes them back and says, in effect, he's saying, do you remember that you knew this? And the reason he's saying that is because now he says, no longer walk this way. Well, they were living like they did when they were unsaved. And what does that involve? Well, 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 what does it say back here? Among whom we all had our conversation, verse 3 of Ephesians 2, in time past, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Ah, we live by the flesh. And it's perfectly normal to do that. But you know, it's not desirable. It's not desirable at all for Christians to do that. Now, the works of the flesh are normal conduct for the unsaved. But unfortunately, point number B down here, Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The works of the flesh are also normal conduct if you're carnal. Now, this is, a, this is a, one of the big heartbreaks. I wonder when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, if Paul had tears about his churches and people, I think these people probably drove him to tears more than anybody else would have done. The church at Corinth, the old joke is if you have, if you have a too awesome church... It's a it's a Corinthian church. That, you know, pastors would get together and talk and I say, How is your church? My My Church is good, my church is a two-ulcer church, and someone says, Oh, you have a Corinthian church. That's this is the way <laughs> this is how it's regarded. But in the third chapter, look what Paul had to say to these people. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you yet. Neither are you now able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? You know, verse three shows you something very interesting in Bible study. Sometimes a very small word can make all the difference in the world. Because if Paul said, if you are if he just said, For you are carnal, that would mean that sometime before this letter arrived, they became carnal. But when he says they are carnal, Yet carnal, what does that mean? You're still carnal. And that tells you something important. They've been carnal for a long time. Now, Paul wanted, you'll notice point number two down there, is that I think the Corinthians quickly became carnal and stayed that way. Because yet means they're carnal while Paul was at at Corinth. And as Paul wrote, they're still carnal. Now, you'll notice in verse one, Paul wanted to talk to them as, as unto spiritual But he couldn't do it because they were carnal. So where is this where is carnal whereas carnality can be normal conduct? Do you see what it does? It keeps you from being spiritual. It keeps you from learning. You find in the second chapter he's already said that the the Holy Spirit teaches verse thirteen of chapter two. He says, The holy which things we speak talking about the deeper things, not in words which man's words Teach, man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual ones. The Holy Spirit takes spiritual things and brings them to spiritual ones. That's a masculine, it's talking about people. Spiritual things to spiritual ones. But that doesn't happen when you're carnal. Oh, yeah, it may be normal conduct to live by the flesh if you're carnal. You see why I said, yeah, the works. Yeah, it, it's it's normal under two circumstances, but we don't recommend either one of them because if you're here, you know, if you're carnal as a believer, you're cutting yourself out of the blessings. You're saved, sure, you're saved, but the problem is, when you're carnal, you miss out on the benefits. So, is it is it important to understand that living by the flesh is not something we need to do? Yeah, it is. It should, be, it should be important to us to understand it because we're not going to grow spiritually. Now, you'll notice on top of page 2, Paul identifies among these people. You can see how bad off they are. He says there's envying, strife, and divisions. In verse 3, you're carnal. For whereas there is envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? So you can see that the flesh does these things to an individual. And it says that you walk as men. You act just like unsaved people act. Now, we're going to get to this later, but it's a nice. this is an important thing to ask right now. Is that the way we want to be seen? Do we want to go in about our daily events when we touch, rub shoulders with other people and have them see us as no different than they are and not see something different? See, see no difference in us? We act the same way they do. We talk the same way they do. We have the same attitude they do. Oh, we even do little things like we hang around the water cooler half the day. Uh, that, uh, you know, that, that might be a matter of testimony. I don't know if you folks ever think of it. But when I worked, I recognized after a while, a lot of your testimony is little things like that. you hang around the water cooler and you're not working like everybody else should be. That's not a good thing to do. So, it's our testimony at stake. We'll get more to that later, but it's just important to recognize that. Now, number four, you notice point number four? Carnality is a fact of Scripture, not something we've made up. There are those you will run across. I put this in here for that reason. You may run across some in your time who will say, well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Uh, well, then why does Paul say I couldn't speak unto you as spiritual but as unto carnal? How can you say there's no such thing as a carnal Christian when Scripture says there is? This is one of those little mysteries in life, Pastor. I don't understand this. If you run across anybody's child, deny there's a I, I have. Dan, Brother Dan, you have? Courtney, you probably have already too. Brother Scott? Yeah. Uh, You run across people that deny it. Why? Well, you know, I think kind of underneath it all, there's a little sneaky thing that they don't want to give up the works of the flesh. You mean there are people that don't want to give them up? Yes, there are people who don't want to give up the works of the flesh. You read through the list of the works of the flesh, and you can see there are some that people want to hang on to. I don't know why, but they do. So, therefore... To fail to overcome temptation from the flesh results in, one, uh, results in one living by the works of the flesh, in other words, living in carnality. And that is not, you'll notice on top of page two, that is all bold font. That is not normal Christian living. It is not the normal Christian living. I should say, maybe, maybe I should say it shouldn't be the normal Christian living because it seems like that may be what is normal today, more than ever. But it's not the normal Christian living according to the Word of God. We're not supposed to be living this way. You'll notice point number five, it is not normal for someone who's seated in the third heaven at God's right hand to be living by the works of the flesh. And you have the references there. If you think about it, here I am seated at the right hand. Is it, is it the right thing to do if I could actually see Jesus Christ on my, on, to the left of me, so I'm on his right hand? Could I actually see myself there losing my temper and saying all kinds of nasty words while he's sitting right there? Excuse me, Lord. Okay, is that all right, Lord? Is that okay? You don't do that kind of thing. Is it matter? Is it normal? When, when we see, that's the problem we have is that maybe, maybe we don't remember that we need to set our mind on things above and remind ourselves, I'm actually there. It's not a figment of my imagination. It says I'm seated there. If you're still in the second chapter of Ephesians, uh, take a look at what it says. And if you're not like I'm not, let's go back to it. We need, to, we need to see ourselves the way God does. You know, if we, if we just do that, maybe we would understand that it is not. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit who we are and where we are. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5, 6, and 7, well, we should put verse 4 in because I like that expression, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit in the heaven, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us. Now, it should be in Christ Jesus. If you have an inner, inner linear, you'll see that. It's translated through Christ Jesus. It should be in. Now, we're raised up and we're seated in heavenly places, and here I am in this heavenly place to say, okay, Lord, excuse me for a moment, I want to time out. I got to go lose my temper. That doesn't, that's not normal. That is not normal. If I really can live with seeing him sitting right next to me, then that might make me realize it is not normal for me to live by the flesh. But you, you, you just, your heart goes out to people that don't see this because a lot of God's people don't realize it is not acceptable because if they would just go back and study what it says, the works of the flesh are. They're right there. Isn't it funny that they're right there and yet people will excuse behavior when it says, among other things, Temper is one of the works of the flesh. And people say, well, that's normal. Okay, it's normal if you're carnal. If anybody wants to say it's normal, then you better mark it down. You're dealing with a carnal Christian. Or else one that's just plain ignorant of the word. So, second major point. Yes, it is important to overcome temptation from the flesh. Now, the first part was that it's not normal to live. Really, the first point is it's not normal to live by the sin nature unless... You're carnal or unsaved. And the second part of this is, yes, it's important to overcome temptation from the flesh. So there's two things that wound together. Now, if you look, we have printed in point number A. It's important to overcome temptation by the flesh. Point A. It is is important because God did not provide salvation so the believer can continue to live in sin. Now, if, if, you, if you consider what we just said, if people don't see the works of the flesh as being abnormal, if they see them as being normal, then we're going to have people that are redeemed that thinking that they can keep on living the way they used to. And that is not true at all. Look what it says, Titus 2, 13 and 14. It's printed on your page if you want to look at it there, or you can turn it to your Bible. It says, looking, and this is, we're breaking into the middle of a statement, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Why is it important to overcome temptation? Well, the first thing we can say is as a believer is redeemed from all iniquity. Now, before we go on to that word iniquity, it's, if you're redeemed from something, what does that mean? If you're redeemed from something, it means that you're no longer there. And you shouldn't be going back there. If you've been brought out from there, you shouldn't be going back. You know, it's not that old adage that the pig is washed and is wallowing in the mire. Well, we shouldn't be like the pig. If you're redeemed from iniquity, it pretty much means that you've been taken from there. And it's probably because God doesn't want you to be there anymore. Now, what is the word iniquity? Well, it's one of those frustrating words. Did you know, folks... That the word iniquity translates fifteen different Greek words. I believe it is fifteen different Greek words, and th- I think it's fifteen different Greek and three. I, I have it at home, but it's like f- it's about fifteen to, between fifteen and eighteen different words are translated iniquity. So when you run across iniquity, if you don't use e sword, you're not going to really know what it says, and that- that's one of the frustrating things about because that old word iniquity actually comes from Old English. It means inequality, something that's in- unequal, or in- and it doesn't. What does inequity have to do with? How I live, or what Christ did. No, it's this is the word. You can see it's it's the word of G four fifty eight. If you use E sword, it's anomia, or literally lawlessness. Now I hope that triggers something because you'll notice we put it here. Lawlessness is the definition of sin. I know what the King James says, but if you read, if you look at an interlinear, or if you look at the modern, some of the modern, more recent translations like the new the, the new King James, it'll tell you that sin is lawlessness that 's this word, so in other words, what this is saying is that this that the believer is redeemed from sin, and there's a nature that wants you to do that now if you've been if you 've been redeemed from sin, have you not been redeemed from the very thing that brings you to sin? you know we don 't just sin out of a vacuum there 's a process called temptation, so if we 've been redeemed from sin we 've also been redeemed from temptation, in other words. It seems like it's pretty important to God that we stay away from temptation because it leads to sin, and we've been redeemed from sin. Remember, from means away from. It doesn't mean so we can go back into it. You know, I think some believers have the idea that it's a reversible term, but it's not. From means away from. You're not going to go back to it. And the believer is also redeemed to be a people of his own. Now, when we went to Bible college... We knew some, some Christians that were peculiar people, but that's not what this means. We, there were some guys, there was one guy we used to call Choo Choo Charlie in Bible college. Seriously, we did. My wife knows him. He. He'd wear on. He had this old engineer type cap he wore all the time. And he was, kind of, he was kind of strange. I think he took peculiar people literally without realizing that was old English because that's not what the word means. You'll notice I put in here that really it's a people of his own. And, there, and for those of you who know Greek, I put the Greek words in there. And, and it's just to, to him to himself a people belonging to him or unique to him. It's a people uniquely belonging to him. So, if we are redeemed to uniquely belong to him, shouldn't that be reason enough that I wouldn't want to fall into temptation, that I'd want to overcome it? Because if I overcome temptation, I'm not going to be living in sin. I'm not going to be dealing with carnality. I'm not going to be forever going and having to confess my sins. Nothing more frustrating than have to keep going on day in and day out, confessing some of the same old sins. But uh, I know you folks don't do that, but I've done it. I'll borrow that expression from you, Pastor. You folks don't have a problem there, but I know Don's done that before. So, so if you remember that, then there's, there's something else that goes along with it. Uh, we'll get into this more later, but when you think about that, if we, overcome, if we don't overcome temptation, if my life is not lived apart from sin, if I'm not remembering who's, who I uniquely belong to, whose reputation is on the line? Is it my reputation? Or is it that word hypocrite that comes to mind? Oh, don't say that around church. Hypocrite? I don't want to be called that. Well, then you notice also on the bottom of page two, we are redeemed unto good works. Now, top of page three. Why is it so important to overcome temptation? Because if I'm spending all my time following temptation and dealing with that, even if I'm overcoming it, but if I'm continually being challenged by it and I'm following that, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to serve God when I'm spending my time with the flesh instead of serving. If I'm if I'm following the temptation, if I'm continually succumbing to it and sinning. I'm serving the flesh. I'm serving the sin nature. And Romans 6 tells me that we're not supposed to be doing that. We've been given the option to not do that. And that's why it's so important to overcome temptation, because we've been redeemed unto good works. And you'll notice Ephesians 2.10. God's even appointed those for us. Now we printed it out in our notes, and you'll notice I'd, I like to do that sometime because we can highlight the text. For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, God has not only redeemed us from all of this unrighteousness, from sin and these things, but He's also redeemed us to be a people unto Himself and redeemed us so that we can serve Him. And He's even given us the good works. He's called us to be a people to do good works, and He's even appointed them for us. Now, I don't know, folks, but I think you can't get much better than that. Why is it so important to deal with temptation? Because it keeps us from being what we should. It keeps us from doing what we should. It just, it simply, it does not fit who we are in Christ. He didn't, we were not saved to keep on living the old life. I know some, and that's, that ties in very closely with people that don't understand the difference between the sin nature being abnormal conduct and being, and being normal for the unsaved and normal for the, the carnal, but they don't see the difference. And if you don't see the difference, if you don't see that that's not abnormal for us, then you very likely are not going to be living as this unique person. You're not going to be living the way God wants you to, and God didn't save us to make us go back and live like we used to live. But there's so many believers that seem to think that. They want to do, and I remember when I was, when I was a young person, one of the things that used to bother me in our young people's meetings that we had when I was a kid in church is there would always be someone who would bring up some kind of a question, can I do this, can I do that? And what they were trying to do is see how close they could come to acting like they did when they were unsaved. And I see somebody smiling, Darlene, you've heard that then. They want to see how close they can come. There's this cutting edge. I'm carnal if I go over the line, but I can come right up next to it and I can still get away with it. That's what I want to do. Please, folks, we're, we're called to be a people of His own, a people of His own. I don't see how a people of His own and coming up to the edge of the line in carnality matches up very well. Do you? If I if I really want to be pleasing to God, am I trying to see ah, I can get right to this point? I can go there. Oh, boy, I can do that just like I used to do, and not sin. I'm sorry. That's not the way it should be. Now, another point. It's important enough that we overcome temptation. Point number B on page 3. It is important enough that God will give a special reward for overcoming temptation. Now, I'll bet you, there's a, I'll bet you there aren't 10 Christians that you'll run across in, a, in your day's time that if you ask them about this that they would recognize that there is actually a special crown that is going to be given at the rapture for those who overcome temptation. Did any of you folks know that? If you've read the Bible, you know that. But if you thought about that, you know this. This in itself should be enough to make me stop and think. Do I really want to ignore temptation? Is it important for me to stay away from it and overcome it? Is it important to know how to use the use the armor to overcome Satan to reckon myself dead to my sin nature? Is it really important to do it, or is it just something? that just it's, it's all pastor, It's just intellectual. I just I just know it. It's good enough. I just I have it in a book. It's up on this shelf. I pull it down and say, oh, this is how you overcome the flesh. Oh, okay. No, it's important that I know it and I use it, because you look at James chapter one, verse verse twelve. Now I printed in your notes; you can see it there, and um, I sometimes do that just because I don't turn pages fast enough. As you get older, you'll find that you don't do that sometimes. So I'm cheating, but in James chapter one and verse verse twelve, you'll notice, "Blessed is the man that endures temptation." For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now, remember something very, very important and simple in Bible study. Some of the things in Bible study that I've taught in, in the class on Saturday are really just common sense, but sometimes we find out that common sense isn't that common anymore. Probably never was common. But you'll notice point number one. This is common sense. The scripture only tells Christians to do something if they're not doing it. And by the same token, Christians, when Scripture says not to do something to a church, it tells you that that was a problem. You don't tell somebody not to do something they're not doing, and you don't tell, somebody to, you don't tell people to start doing something that they've been doing, do you? No, you really don't do that. So, if it says that blessed is a man that endures temptation, he's saying that because they weren't all doing that. Now, you know, this is, this is a limited reward. You notice I put in here, God does not give out participation trophies. <laughs> I, I, know some, I, know, I know Joyce was involved in education, and you probably saw enough of that to make you sick. I know Andrea is in education, and you probably <laughs> scratch your head and say, why do we do this? You know, but God's not like that. One of the things people don't understand is that God doesn't play by human rules. Humans change the rules. They want to change how God deals. They want to change what God does. I got news for you. God doesn't change what he said in his word. And he's not going to give out participation trophies. And this is a limited award that can be given. It's a crown that can be given to those who overcome temptation, but only to them. The rest of the people that don't do it are not going to get participation trophies handed out. And that would be silly. <laughs> I, I always, that always cracks me up, the idea of participation trophies. You showed up. What happened? Well, I showed up at the baseball game, and I struck out every time I got the bat. I got, a, I got a participation trophy for striking out every time I got up at the bat. Boy, and dropping the ball, I made, more, I made three errors in throwing, and I still got a participation trophy. That's wonderful. We live in a strange and funny time. Now, so because it's unique, you notice there's something else in here. It says, Happy is the man that endures temptation, but you notice what else it goes on to say that might be easily overlooked which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Ah, boy, that's a sneaky one, isn't it? We want to say we love God. There are things that will prove it in my life. And one of them is if I take temptation seriously and overcome it. That's a proof that I love God. Now, I know I don't go around and tell everybody. You don't go around with a placard that says, I overcame this temptation today. I overcame that one today. I overcome this one the other day. No, it's between us and God. But is it not important to know, to show in your own conduct, that you love God? I mean, let's be serious, folks. If we're beating if we really want, if we want to say we love him, it, talk is cheap. Put the rubber to the road. Get the evidence out there. Deal with that temptation. Overcome that temptation. That's the evidence. That's one of them. And that's not the only evidence. But this is one evidence. It says it's going to be, it's going to be given to those that love God. I know there's a lot more we could say about this. There's a lot you could dig out of the Greek text, but this morning, for the sake of brevity and just to make this easy to understand, you can just see that the man that endures temptation is happy and it's something that will go on to show it's proof that you love the Lord. What more can you ask for than that? That right there, I think, once again, like I've been saying, that alone should be enough to motivate me to want to overcome temptation. The fact is it proves that I love the Lord. You know, I don't know about you folks, but every once in a while I find myself thinking in, in prayer, I've said, Father, I wish there was some way I could show you that I love you. I wish there's some way I could show you how much I appreciate what you've done. And then all of a sudden it occurs to me, it's in Scripture. There are ways you can show it. It's there. One of the ways I can show it, I don't have to ask God, how do I show I love you, Father? Overcome temptation. That's the proof of it right there. I don't have to do anything more than that. If I do that much in my life, I'm ahead. Now, I don't know, but I, as I read this verse, it says, Blessed is the man that overcomes temptation. You know, it doesn't say how many times. I'm not sure, but I know Dr. Schaefer, one of, my, one of the greatest teachers I've ever known, he said even if a believer overcomes temptation one time, he'll get this crown. And I thought, and you might think the same way as I do, I said, well, that's, that seems awful. That seems awfully easy. That's a pretty low bar. But now ask yourself a simple question. How many believers actually do this? How many believers fit into the first part of the Sunday school lesson where they think it's just normal behavior? Oh, it's normal behavior. It's my temper. Oh, I got saved as a drunk, so it's a normal problem that I once in a while lapse back into it and go get drunk. I was a drunk before I got saved. It's just my nature. It's, it's, it's just a normal behavior. Is it really? No, I think maybe I, I'm, as I get older and as I look at things... Think about this. Maybe if we see believers just one time knowledgeably overcoming the temptation, one time when that sin nature crops up and I get the desire to lose my temper, before I do, what if I stop and said, wait a minute, I died to this in Christ. I am dead to this in Christ. I don't have to do this. Father, help me. I'm giving you this energy. Then, you st- then I start thinking about, it. I have righteousness in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21, that's the one that gets to me. I have God's kind of righteousness in Christ because, boy, if there's one thing Don never had. <laughs> he never had righteousness. I was a clown and a smart aleck and a troublemaker. So I go to that and I say, yeah. And now while I'm thinking about that, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, there goes that temper. It's gone. Like, does it work? Yes, it does work. I've done it before. It does work. But how many people would take the time to do that? How many people even know about that? That's why the Christian life is so important that we teach That's why Scott's going through this, and it's a regular ongoing course, because everybody needs to know how to do this. Because you might even get the privilege of getting a crown for one time doing something right. Just one time overcoming temptation. That's quite a thought. One time? Well, that might be all that some of us do, but it's still, it's a proof we love the Lord. So do I want to show God I love it? I often find myself thinking about that, but then I have to come right back to Scripture and say, "Just do what Scripture says, Don. Just do what Scripture says and you showing God you love Him. Pretty simple. Well, the last point, why is it important to overcome temptation? Why is it? Point number C? It's for the sake of the believer's testimony. Now, you can read the first section for the sake of time. you can see that testimony. If you have any question about it, testimony is not just words. It is the actions that precede the words. And you can, if you look in 1 Thessalonians, we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but if you read 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 9, Paul said he didn't have to say anything about that church to people. Why? Because what they did was enough. They proved everything Paul could say. Paul didn't have to prove anything. Their works proved what they were doing. They could say what they were without fear because they were living up to it. So, it's our it's what we do that precedes our words. You know, it's really easy for me to go out and say I'm a Christian, or we're, or have like pastors says you put all these bumper stickers on the car. Then I live like I live like the devil, but I got a bumper sticker says Praise the Lord. What would Jesus do? Yeah, what would Jesus do? So you follow me, and you find this guy's going into the bar. So that's where Jesus would go. Uh huh. These people, I remember the one one anecdote that I saw that was really funny was this, this uh, one this one fellow was a Christian. He had what would Jesus do on his bumper, and so he was speeding, and a cop pulled him over, and, and he, he said he he said he said you were you were over the speed limit. He said, but that's not the reason I stopped. He said, I was just wondering if you really thought that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> it was a good question, wasn't it? He said, what would Jesus do? Would he be spe- would he be speeding? Uh huh. What about my testimony? Well, you know, if a believer's life is dominated by the works of the flesh, what, the, what kind of testimony they will have? You notice what I put in bold font down there on page three? The word for a carnal Christian's testimony is hypocrite. Well, 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 well. Hmm. Point number three, when Christians constantly give in to temptation, they open the door for a famous, well-known accusation. What's that famous accusation? Does anybody, I'll bet you could tell me without even looking at it. The church is full of hypocrites. You know what? That's the truth in most places. That's the truth. If they say the church is full of hypocrites, by and large, it's true in most places. Why is that true? Because believers don't know what temptation is. They won't overcome it. They don't understand. Now, part of the fault lies behind the pulpits of churches where pastors are not teaching what what the Bible says. The other part of it is even when people hear about temptation... They try to pass it off. And I think a lot of times the idea of thinking it's normal behavior, normal behavior is more like an excuse. When somebody really wants to do something, you say, well, it's just normal. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is just normal. So, so although we may think of it, point number four down here, although we might not think of it, a believer can be a positive testimony or a negative one. And the difference is whether we overcome temptation or just give in and sin by calling it normal behavior. There we go, folks. That's, that's up to us, really. We, don't, we, may, we may not want to think of it that way. We may not want to think, oh, I'm a testimony all the time, but you know, if I'm being seen by other people, I am going to be a testimony if they watch me for any length of time. What I do, what I say, how I act is going to be a testimony. Now, if I'm acting like the world and I'm blowing my temper every time something goes wrong and I'm saying words I shouldn't be saying and laughing at all the dirty jokes if I work at a place where they tell them, what kind of a testimony am I? Am I a positive one? No, I don't think so. You know, It's, it's a funny thing that Christians somehow f- think that they're immune from all this, that they can step back and I'm, not, I'm just not involved. I'm a sideline. I'm either positive or negative. I'm a neutral. I'm staying out. No, you know what? We don't have that option. We don't have that option. If you're a Christian you are going to be one or the other. So, conclusion, quickly this morning. The Christian life is not done by glossing over the works of the flesh as normal human behavior. That's what people will do. Even believers that should know better will gloss it over. And yes, it is important to overcome temptation because failure to do so can result in a life of carnality which the lost will call, and rightly so, they'll call it hypocrisy. And these are things we can avoid if we just take the scripture literally. We don't have to be sucked up in these things. Why do we, why do we have this series? Because so, so much of the problems that we see are just simply a result of people just not taking the Bible literally. And these are two problems you wouldn't have. You would not have a problem understanding it's not normal to be a carnal. It's not normal to do the works of the flesh. It's not normal. Unless you want to say that you're carnal. And it's important to overcome temptation Because God says so. And it is a proof that we love him.